0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the special World Radiography Day special. My name's Jo McNamara, and I'm joined by my fellow host, Naaman. Hello. We'll be posting our recent podcast with Charlotte Beard more soon and look forward to having our next guest, Shireen Pervaday. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. Also, a quick plug to say that today, I'm taking over HP's Everywhere Twitter page. So please do get involved, get engaged. Um, and let's help help promote lots of uh, radiography careers to other ahps
1: so we asked you to send some questions into us uh just so that we could answer them for you today and um, thank you to all those who have done so uh, just thought i'd do a cheeky little shout out to a fantastic podcast uh, that joe and i both enjoy um, by saying now it's time for questions from the public
0: <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> Okay so our first question was from Kerry Mills and uh, she was asking what was the motivation for starting the podcast and obviously and you started the podcast so I'll hand over to you to start with.
1: Uh, Thanks Kerry Um, so Jodie and I used to work together and we discussed it at work Um, so you know and looking around in I think 2019 when we started there wasn't a radiotherapy specific one uh, so we decided to give it a go. Um, I've always loved podcasts. I think uh, whenever I'm going for a long run or my commute, um, they're very accessible. So it's, it's quite nice just to be able to listen on the go. And you can also stop it and go back to it when you need to. Um, it definitely got me through the London Marathon, listening to quite a few different podcasts because that was quite a long time to be running. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, now we're on Spotify and we're soon going to be on Apple Podcasts too. So you can download them onto the app. Um, you can listen offline um, you know whenever you've got spare time or I think like when we listen to some of our podcasts my other half and I it's usually we the cooking um, which is quite a good time to do it um, it's a quick way to get lots of information across and people can go back and re-listen um, I really believe it can have a huge impact for radiography as a whole um, and now that we've applied for the continual professional development so CPD uh, endorsement from the Society and College of Radiographers um, I hope more people will be able to sort of listen um, and you know just kind of get involved with what we share Um interesting stat that in 2020 due to the pandemic around 100 million people started to listen to a podcast per month um, and this is due to rise to around 125 million uh, by 2022 so next uh, yeah next year <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> sorry so after two years of working together um joe obviously we finally met last week uh, when he came down to london and yeah we've got some big plans for the podcast
0: i know it's amazing what can happen over a glass of wine um, but essentially yeah I think it is really exciting I'd always listen to podcasts and um, you know again the variety in which I listen to um, I'm a big fan of um, a big fan of Bal Babes on Instagram and I know she has a podcast and I, I always found that it was a really great way to hear from patients um, so when I was asked by, um, AHPs on the front line to be part of their podcast, that was my first introduction to ever being a guest. Um, and that was really insightful just in terms of the processes in, behind running a podcast, how to get involved, how to support your guests. Cause it can be nerve wracking. I suppose mm. you're putting yourself out there professionally Um, and personally to some extent as well Um, so it can be daunting and especially for guests who've maybe never done any public speaking before but i think it is an amazing opportunity and one that i am hugely passionate about which is to develop the workforce um education and also improve patient care and i think it is a great way if people take snippets from podcast able to implement into their day-to-day practice with patients know i think it's an amazing opportunity and something that i'm really proud to be part of so thank you again for letting me contribute um and hopefully hopefully everyone will will benefit from the work that we're doing as part of the podcast and as you said i think using it as cpd um, is a great opportunity for people to really get involved undertake their reflections think about how they're going to um use it for their practice um, and hopefully that will just go on and develop further you never know Naaman. we might have a msc on podcasting who knows <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no it's good and thank you for being involved it's been it's been good so far and it's just to plug on what you said about getting patients involved so we've been lucky to have sort of two well, three patients so one was um the little c clubs so and nick and jen who set up the flashcards for um for young children whose parents might have cancer just to explain what's going on and obviously recently about the BRCA mutation we had Kristen Williams on as well so and we've got quite a few more lined up for the future so it's quite exciting um, so first question then Joe uh, so it's from Tom Welton um, do you think more should be done to link, link diagnostic and therapeutic radiography both in education and in practical working and second part to the question could this streamline cancer services
0: So, yeah, so I think actually in terms of where we are from an educational perspective, uh, you know, HEIs are definitely moving to a more integrated education, which will obviously then link with more integrated working. So, you know, obviously I I am at Sheffield Hallam University, but I, I do speak on behalf of all of the HEIs. You know, we are committed to interprofessional education and ensuring that people are learning with, from and about each other. It's hugely powerful. I've always been a big big advocate for interprofessional education. And I think as a student, sometimes it can be quite daunting. And because of some of the subject matter that we're taught around communication, teamworking, professionalism, it can be slightly ad hoc in terms of the fact that you think, you know, I know this. Why do I need to do it? But actually, we all know from practice there's a big Big step away from being in a classroom to actually sitting in a multidisciplinary team meeting where you have to be patient advocate, you have to be advocate for the treatment or the therapies that you're delivering. And I think to be able to give students the opportunity to do that in a, in a safe classroom setting is a great way to kind of develop their skills and knowledge. Um, and I remember being a student and thinking, oh gosh, why have I got to do this? I just want to learn about cancer and radiotherapy. and you know, is this really going to set me apart? And actually, when I qualified, um, I was treating patients who were really struggling with getting their arm into the right position for breast radiotherapy. And I was like, I don't understand why are all these patients coming through for radiotherapy after surgery, and they've not had physiotherapy intervention, or they've not been given exercises or support. And I know things have changed from from then. But from my perspective, I was like, right, I need to do something about it. And I did. I phoned my physiotherapy friend who I'd met as part of the interprofessional education um, modules that I did at Sheffield Hallam University. And we went for dinner. We discussed it all. I learned from her what advice and support I could give patients. We talked about setting up referral processes for these patients. And how amazing is that if you hadn't have had those opportunities to be able to link with other healthcare professionals who, you know, that is their bread and butter, they are the experts in that. But to impart some of that knowledge to me to help our patients, I think made a huge difference. And we certainly saw it from the patient's perspective, coming into the radiotherapy departments and me being able to give some simple exercises or piece of advice to improve that mobility. And I know that's a much better linked up pathway now um, than there ever has been. But back then, it was, you know, it was something that we could do to drive forward practice. And that's definitely something that I know all higher education institutes are really passionate about. And, you know, the students are the future. And so if we want to make changes in practice, we want to make more integrated services, then ultimately we need to give the students the skills and the knowledge to be able to do that. Um, and have the confidence as well. I can imagine it's so daunting going out into a department, whether that's diagnostic or um, radiotherapy and kind of going, oh, we could do this better. Have you considered? Um, I'm not sure I'd necessarily have had the confidence to do that. But I think as a workforce now, we are much more critical of our own practices, our our pathways for patients. So, you know, taking on advice and support and looking more critically I know definitely i do things as i've always done them until i take time to reflect or ask for some feedback or some critical eye over something and i think it's so important i ask my students all the time what can i do better and um, because they're seeing it firsthand um, and i think it's really important that we take that forward so to answer tom's um tom's question we definitely already do that as part of education We could probably do it more within the clinical setting. So I know um, that lots of therapeutic radiography students will work maybe on elective placements or within what we call extended placements where they maybe go out and work on a chemotherapy ward, where they work in a hospice, where they work in cancer information and support. Um, But I think we could maybe do it more between radiography and therapeutic. It's really hard at the moment um, because of placements and you know the fact that we are have more allied health professional students within the sector and getting them placements is always tricky but I think there's definitely more that we can do and that's maybe utilizing practice educators more within the departments to think a bit more extensively about how we could utilize placements in a different way and obviously that also goes into simulation and virtual placements and things like that so loads of exciting things I think um that are coming up
1: yeah, I agree. I think my experience as a student as well, uh, where I was placed, had a really good sort of three or four days you'd go and visit and go to diagnostic. So MRI, CT, uh, IR, um, kind of, sorry, interventional radiology and um, everything really is really interesting. And I, I learned a lot to, as you said, kind of build the full picture of what happens or what the patient kind of sees and experiences before they come to radiotherapy. Um, and hopefully this podcast can be a good link. Um, so yeah, so we've had a, a diagnostic radiographer on, Janice. Um, and obviously, yeah, it's quite radiotherapy specific. But in the future, we've got quite a few guests lined up who are from a diagnostic background too. So, yeah,
0: good. really exciting stuff. And I think from a national agenda perspective as well, there is definitely kind of that pathway now that they are trying to integrate services. Um, and it would be great to have patients referred more quickly through a diagnostic pathway straight into cancer treatments. And I know that work speak really okay. So the next question is from Alejandro. So um, it was to provide reassurance and comfort. What are some key questions we can ask patients undergoing radiotherapy?
1: Um, So yeah, really good question. Um, So I suppose the most important one for me would always be just how are you. know that could be could get a multitude of sort of answers but even patients body language you can see just from straight away asking them how they are whether that's walking them to the treatment unit in going for my for my role as a review retro for going towards the treatment room you kind of set yourself up and you know how the patient's feeling from there and then um and you know interpersonal skills come in after that so active listening so silence just being engaged um, our patients are going through the toughest parts of their lives. Um, so when I worked on the treatment floor, um, I love to get to know the patient. So ask about what they used to do for a living, for example. The amount of things you can learn about our patients and their hobbies, and then you could probably advise. Okay, well, so you used to go running, for example, but you haven't been for a while. Would you try and go for a gentle walk? And Maybe that might boost your mood, or you know, just generally. Let's say some patients who've come from chemotherapy to radiotherapy, they haven't been as active because they've been probably just not feeling great but actually now to integrate that kind of holistic side where well actually you could you know try this maybe um go for a walk just around the kind of your in your area or just up and down the street for example um so you know it doesn't just have to be about cancer um patients have a story um and they deserve to be viewed as more than just a cancer patient you know yes we only have a small amount of time to treat them but just that one question of how are you or okay what do you do um you know, outside of work, um and outside of work, sorry, outside of the treatment room. Um, you know, who who have you got at home supporting you or is there a dog that you take for a walk? Just getting to know the patient a bit more, I think it goes a really, really long way. And maybe just reassuring that yes, some of these side effects you're having are temporary, but some of the ones that you can go into about late effects and stuff as well, you know, what are some of the tips that we can do uh, sorry gift to you to sort of help kind of improve those things? Um, I think active listening, Joe, is something that you kind of push on with as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important because I think for someone who talks a lot, <laughs> I, I do have to work really hard on active listening and I see it quite a lot. As an educator, I'm, I'm privy to observing people more and I get to observe students and clinical um, practitioners and I often see them asking all the right questions giving all the right advice but what I don't always observe is that active listening so really concentrating on what a patient is saying how they're saying it their body language their tone of voice and trying to interpret um you know telling sometimes patients pause or I've often seen it where you will get Um, people asking oh are you all right today yeah I'm sure you're fine and implying the answer already for them so then if I was a patient and I was feeling slightly down or had an issue I'd then be thinking oh well actually should I have this because they've kind of said I should be okay so active listening is really really important I'd also say don't be afraid of silence Sometimes patients do just need to sit quietly and know that you are there if they need it. Um, And I've certainly seen that as part of first day information chats that we have with patients in radiotherapy. Sometimes they just need a bit of space to think and breathe and take everything in. I always think the pathway that cancer patients go through is quite rapid. And I know talking to lots of patients, they often, they often talk about this, but maybe when they get to the end treatment or the towards the end of their final treatment that they definitely start to reflect on what they've been through I can say that as part of a patient as well I was definitely that oh it's thyroid cancer it's fine you know I don't have to worry about it um, I've got lots of treatment options my oncologist is brilliant I don't need to worry about it but it was only until after I'd kind of gone through the surgery and um, I'd spoken to the oncologist I'd had follow-up I'd started at all my um, post meds it wasn't until probably I'd say two months afterwards and I just thought oh my gosh I've had cancer and I don't think I really really took it in um and and I think being part of that world anyway you do kind of think oh it's fine um but then it did impact me how members of my family reacted to me saying I've got cancer I remember I phoned my Mm -hmm. husband I said, oh, just to let you know, I, I forgot to tell you, but I had a, a an appointment today to get my my biopsy results. Um, but just to let you know, it's cancer, but it's absolutely fine. It's only thyroid. And he was in Tesco's shopping and he was just like, oh my God. And he said he thought he, he was going to break down in tears. And I was like, oh no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and I, I do kick myself for kind of breaking it to him like that because to me, it was like, oh no, it's fine. I know I'll be okay. Um, but I think being a cancer patient you need to have that space at some point and some time to just reflect on it Um so active listening absolutely I think is so important and obviously with my prehab rehab hat on uh, which I'm really passionate about questions that you know like your example of saying you know have you been physically active do you do any hobbies and things that's really important you know physical activity can be gardening it can be cleaning it doesn't have to be running marathons so i think that is really important and thinking about some of the public health messages that we're we're sending across so do you smoke those kinds of things can be linked with more chatty um chatty conversations and hopefully then impact really positively on the patient
1: yeah thank you for sharing your story um true joe style to the point (laughs) I know I'll be fine but yeah no I think something you touched on is where what patients always say something I've come across in review is that actually being the bystander is sometimes it can be harder than yeah. quite a few of my patients said well actually I know I'll be okay I'll get through this if I have some side effects I'll deal with it you're on in the best hands because you're here as a healthcare professional and a team that are around them but it's usually the the family member if they are there with you they are the ones who are more worried so why aren't you doing something about this 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 it can be really challenging but as yeah. you said the act of listening it goes towards the family member too so actually you know are they okay is there something we could signpost them to Because it you know for example psych oncology services so if they have counseling it's not just for the patients yeah. actually many of our patients family members or you know their younger children or even their parents they go for counseling um just to you know understand what's kind of going on around them because it's something you're not really expecting to happen so yeah um so move on to the next question joe um this is from ben potts um you might need a pen and paper there's a few parts to this (laughs) (laughs) so how has radiography changed in the past five years um what do you predict will happen uh, in the next five years and beyond and who is making the greatest advancements in radiography and what are they doing
0: wow what a question well done ben um (laughs) (laughs) So let's kind of break it up a little bit then. So what's changed in the past five years? Um, I actually think there's been a lot of change in some areas and not enough in other areas. Um, I definitely know that there's inequity across the country in radiotherapy provision. So whether that's from technique all the way through to imaging modalities, the equipment that we have, the training that the staff have, I think inequity is something that has 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 allowed some departments to really develop practice, develop techniques, um, whereas there are other departments that just don't have the investment, the resources, the workforce. There are real challenges. Um, so I think, although there have been some amazing advances, so the MRI LINAC is something that that springs out straight away, Proton Services, the development of those, know it's amazing to see what can happen and I think Covid has made a massive difference to maybe how we run some of the supportive services Um you know I always know going and asking a patient to come for a blood test can be hugely impactful on their life if their hospital is two hours away So, you know, it's little things like that that I think um, have changed as a result of COVID, you know, um, coming in for a consultation that lasts 10 minutes. Can it be done on the phone? Those kinds of things, I think, have, have really rapidly changed. What do we think is going to happen in the next five years and beyond? I think it depends on investment. So do we have enough investment to develop the technology, to develop the workforce? I think the promotion of our profession has been radical over the last three or four years Um, as an admissions tutor I certainly know that there are more applications coming in now as a result of lots of the projects and the work that therapeutic radiographers typically do to promote the profession and things like the fellowships but also having lots more therapeutic radiographers in more senior roles um, or or diagnostic radiographers you know I, I like to think we always promote each other And I think having that visibility helps to educate other people. Um, But as part of my takeover this morning, you know, when you look at some of the statistics around how small our profession is, so we have about 4,000 therapeutic radiographers that are registered in the country versus 50,000 physiotherapists, you can really understand why maybe we are a small, unheard of profession. Um, But I've definitely seen that our availability to be able to promote our profession, more people getting involved in promotion and outreach events has changed rapidly so I think that in terms of maybe advancements it could be in the workforce and the development of the workforce um, and what potentially they could could go on to do and achieve I also think that we have amazing skills as radiographers and you know in terms of our digital capabilities So I think that's definitely something we're going to see in the next five years. And obviously the implementation of more artificial intelligence. So will that allow us to take more time maybe to spend with patients, support them, educate them? Um, And I, again, with my kind of prehab rehab hat on and where we are within that national agenda, I hope that we get more recognition, more training, more funding to be able to then seamlessly implement hopefully more late effects clinics um, more rehabilitation clinics with therapeutic radiographers sitting on them um, and hopefully ensuring that anyone who has any cancer treatment has access to a late effects clinic that a GP or an oncologist can refer to because I know that at the moment that's where some patients are failing to have their needs met Um so yeah I think to answer the question quickly I think that's what I'd say. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Just just quickly, just in case there's anyone listening doesn't know what prehab and rehab is.
0: Yeah. So prehabilitation is something that uh, like an intervention or advice that we would give to patients prior to having a treatment, a therapy. So in terms of therapeutic radiography, we would expect patients who maybe will be referred for radiotherapy, but might be starting hormone therapy. They'll have about 12 weeks in between. So it's thinking about I know Will had mentioned this, but thinking about their weight, thinking about their active um, levels of physical activity, thinking about diet, um, smoking cessation. You know, all of these things about lifestyle and health and how we could potentially change that person's physiology um, before they start their treatment or therapy, specifically then to make their outcomes better. Because we would hate to treat the cancer, but know that they have underlying conditions that aren't also getting addressed. So I think that's where prehabilitation has a real impact. Um, And then rehabilitation is where someone has a treatment or intervention and then needs additional help or support to, again, ensure that their quality of life um, isn't impacted by that. So rehabilitation could be physiotherapy specifically um so yeah there's loads of work going on at the moment around prehabilitation and rehabilitation and for anyone who wants to find out more there's a module called prosper so if you just type in p r o s p e r into google and put e learning for health there's a whole package designed by macmillan that is brilliant to really explain prehab and rehab to you
1: thank you and i suppose i mean The other kind of things to add that are kind of advancing or maybe we're talking about more as you kind of touched having will on was like sexual care um we've done three podcasts around it and i think you know it's something that it's now coming out of the box everyone's talking about it more um so that's really good and what you said about the development of the workforce i suppose from my role as a review radiographer things have advanced i mean drastically um maybe 10 15 years ago there might only be one review radiographer, but primarily it'd be doctor or nurse led sort of review clinics and um, just kind of, you know, let's say around wound care, for example, to now in my role. So I know it's advanced, uh, advanced practice week as well. So as an advanced practitioner in review, um, so I can do wound care to take patients, bloods uh, pacemaker checks on top of just reviewing every single patient site. And obviously across the country, some departments will have site specific Uh, review radiographers who also do sort of the treatment side of things. So as you said, you know, all the skills that we have as radiographers, we have so many different avenues of channels we can kind of get into. Um, and, And I think that's really exciting and moving forward with research. And so obviously Will is doing research as part of his role as well. But there are consultant radiographer roles which have been around for a long time. And I think those are really starting to develop where I think one of the requirements now is also to be working towards a PhD or like a doctorate. So obviously including that big research and a kind of pillar um, from advanced practice as well and tying it in and ensuring that we're kind of using evidence-based practice is quite exciting. I suppose the last thing just to add would be around something that I really enjoy uh, every month is uh, MedRAD Journal Club. So, you know, it's a Twitter-based journal club, but they also have a blog around it, different sort of um, articles that are shared. It's such a fantastic way to engage both professions. And um, so, yeah, I think... That's something with lots of students now getting more involved, such as Ben on Twitter. Um, it's quite exciting and it engages us to, as you said, to develop the future workforce. So,
0: perfect. Right. So our last question is from Emily Reed, um, and as a first-year student, she asked, "What is the best way to prepare for your first day of placement?" <laughs>
1: Um, so one for me uh, to begin with is know your route to get to the department um, <laughs> lots it of sounds
0: ra- like there's a story behind that <laughs> Um
1: lots of radiotherapy departments um, they can sometimes be in the basement or their own building sort of attached to the hospital um, so make sure you know how to get there um, I went to um, Bristol for like an elective day and not knowing that you can there's an outside way but also to go through the main hospital because I used to live down kind of that way if you know where Bristol is. um yeah, there, there's a couple of lifts and different corridors which I just couldn't find. And nobody knew unfortunately where radiotherapy was. And I got sent to the diagnostic place first, saying, no, this is the wrong side. <laughs> and it was getting closer and closer to the time I had to be there. So eventually I just kind of went all the way around the back. But yeah, knowing your route to get there is important. Obviously you don't want those first day kind of or well, worries or stress that you're going to be late. Um I suppose on the being late thing if, if something says you need to be there for 9 um, I'd always say try and get there a bit early so in case you get lost obviously like I did um, but it's just something that I've learned from my upbringing and being in the army reserves so if it says a certain time be there 10 minutes before it shows that you're ready and then you know you, you can go from there um, I suppose read up on the department um, you know how many, so how many linear accelerators do they have so Linux um, you know what sort of demographic is around there um yeah how many patients do they normally treat so these are sort of things that i think your practice educators or your um the lecturing team that you work with they should be able to help as well um and i say probably just to end with is just remember to smile um it's an absolute privilege to be able to work with patients and in the nhs so that's something especially as a first-year student where you're new to it it's really important and um, so yeah what about you joe
0: perfect advice yeah so my big one again there's a story behind this um but um yeah it's all about the shoes <laughs> so so many times I like I remember that first shift I was like and I was a really active uh, student uh, but I still remember that first day going oh why have I brought these shoes they're so uncomfortable my feet hurt so much and I've got blisters on them and uh back when I was training it it was kind of viewed that as a student, you did stand up all day. You didn't sit down. Um, I, I know that's certainly not and shouldn't be what it's like now. Uh, but it, it did make me laugh that I was in just so much pain for my first week. So get the right shoes and start wearing them in now. If you know that your placement's <laughs> a couple of weeks, don't go, oh, I'm going to keep my nice new clinical shoes nice and shiny. No, get those bad boys worn in as much as you possibly can do so that they are nice and comfy. Um, Little things like, I get so many students, oh, I've forgotten my film badge. You know, be as organized as you possibly can do. Um, I think that shows already that you're prepared. Little things like make sure that your trousers are sewed properly and they're the right length. Um, I don't know about other higher education institutes, but at Sheffield Hallam, we have kind of like standard leg length of trousers and then students are expected to then put them up. Um, But the amount of times students don't get their uniforms out of the bags until the day before or the day of placement. And then they walk into placement with about six inches too long trousers. Um, Yeah, So little things like that, I think, show that you are prepared and organized. Um, But I would just say as well, use the opportunity as much as you can to talk to patients. So it can be so nerve wracking. Um, and a skill that you will definitely have to develop but just having conversations you're not expected to know anything I wish now in a way I could go back to being really naive um, and almost just having that opportunity to just sit and chat to patients I know that Hazel won't mind me for sharing this but um, when she was coming to the end of her fellowship she was asked to help out in the department um, and work on reception So I think it's really admirable because I think it is really important that people in more senior management positions do take time to kind of go and work back on what they call maybe the shop floor um, to have those opportunities to see things from other people's viewpoints. Um, But she said she absolutely loved it. It's less stress for her. Uh, She had the opportunity to talk to patients all day and see what maybe some of the issues were from a pathway perspective but yeah use those opportunities as much as you possibly can do and I always know that one of my key pieces of advice to students in any year of practice is essentially if you don't have anything to do or you don't have a patient or for whatever reason the patient won't allow students as part of their treatment that's fine but use that opportunity to go and sit with patients in the waiting room because it is the best learning that you'll ever have Um, you know the patient's talking to you about their side effects what they've been through their pathway the holistic care that they may or may not have Um, and you'll definitely learn lots from that perspective
1: thank
0: you so i thought maybe to end it we because it is world radiography day to just give maybe some tips for how we would promote our profession So I know um, I'm just starting to chair the special interest group with the Society College of Radiographers. So if anyone's interested, get in touch. Um, But essentially, as part of that, you know, the main element is how do we promote our profession? So I suppose my first one would be introduce yourself as hello, my name is and I'm a therapeutic radiographer. Have you got any that you use?
1: Um, I think, yeah, especially using your protective protected title as you said therapeutic radiographer so everyone I say everyone most people have an email signature for work so you know if you're engaging with sort of other departments but um, I do it for my personal email as well so I don't know if I'm sending an email let's say I did one to the council recently trying to sort our bins out (laughs) I did have someone from the council email back saying oh well yeah therapeutic radiographer what is that Um, and then it just engages them starts a conversation hopefully he remembers but um,
0: <laughs>
1: going, going from there um so yeah
0: perfect and there's so many opportunities i think when hazel and i were doing our fellowship it was about promoting through any available opportunity that we have so you know even if you're in senior management roles and i know i was talking to um talking to some ahps recently and they were saying oh you know it's it's really bad because my title doesn't doesn't contain the fact that I'm an occupational therapist but I said but you could still add it you can still have your main title and then underneath it have their you know occupational therapist or I know Health Education England have created some amazing little cartoon characters of each of our professions you know, having an image at the bottom of our signature is quite common now um, and a link to certain things. So utilising that maybe even just for World Radiography Day could be something that people could do um, to kind of get people to engage and think, oh, right, I didn't realise this person was a physiotherapist or um, a diagnostic radiographer. Um, I also think as well, my big one is in multidisciplinary team meetings. Um because therapeutic radiographers aren't always part of them so I think when we are we need to shout about it so making sure that that people know who we are and what our profession is is really important and I wouldn't be afraid to follow it up so I know that um some of the situations I've been in I've been talking to quite senior consultants outside of oncology and I've said oh I'm a therapeutic radiographer and it takes takes a bit of balls but I basically go or well, do you know what one of those is and the amount of people that go oh, I'm glad you asked that question so because no I've got no idea <laughs> and then you get an opportunity to actually say what it is and they're like oh I didn't realize it was therapeutic radiographers do that so actually again you are educating and you're promoting uh, as you go so every available opportunity that you come across I think is really important um, and Hazel and I would definitely have, have said about name badges so I know so many departments have therapy radiographer or superintendent um, or rotational lead or lots of different things on name badges but if you can imagine setting up a head and neck cancer patient so they're lying in front of you and typically our chests are at head height if I was a patient I would be just staring at your chest or staring at your name (laughs) just fixating on something that is around me visually and if I'm staring at someone that says superintendent that tells me nothing whereas if I'm staring at a name badge that says therapeutic radiographer I'm going to go away going oh I had a lovely therapeutic radiographer today treat me because they've seen that name badge so you know go away have a look just for world radiography day maybe type an email to your manager to say can we change our name badges um they might go there's no way I can afford that but at least you've asked the question
1: yeah, exactly. And um, as you said, get involved with the special interest group if you can, which is promoting radiography.
0: Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you ever so much for everyone for listening. Um, I appreciate it's probably been longer than we wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah. but we always said we could talk forever. And that's with no guests. That's quite impressive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so thank you again. Your hosts today have been Jo and Naaman. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.